Amen. Awesome. If you're at Acts 21, say I'm there. Awesome. I think we even, I have a map up now, but we're going to have some verses on the screen as well. But there's three things that we're going to see this morning. We're going to see alerts, we're going to see arrival, and we're going to see arrest. And so basically what we're looking at in a general summary is we're seeing Paul continue to serve the Lord wherever the Spirit may lead him. And see, we pray prayers like this, I believe, as believers all the time, right? We say, Lord, just let me be a useful vessel, an instrument, wherever you have me. I believe we can all relate to that prayer, amen? Whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in our family, whether it's here at the church, right? Finding your spot, where to serve. Your desire is, man, I just want to serve you, Lord. But we've also talked about, we think about like Ephesians 6 that talks about the armor of God. We know that we're in this spiritual battle, right? And as we jump in and say, Lord, use me, can I tell you what often comes with that? <laughs> is attack. Tribulation. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise, but here's the good part. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, amen? There's this reality that there's a prosperity gospel being preached this morning. That you come to Jesus, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and everything's great, right? We understand that our kingdom is not here on this earth. Our kingdom is God's kingdom for His glory. Amen? So as we serve Him, there's a spiritual battle. And Paul, man, we've seen Paul just persistent, just going into towns, places where he's been stoned before. He goes back in and gives them the gospel, right? How awesome an example Paul is to us. We're going to see that example continue today. Look at Acts 21. We'll begin with the alerts, basically the warnings in the Spirit. Let's begin with verse 1 through 3. It says, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there, the ship was to unload her cargo. So, right off the bat, we get, uh, I think I have a map for this. And what we're getting is almost like a travel log of Paul. He's continuing his third missionary journey. We've seen this. It's not the largest map, I apologize. But what we have is basically Paul coming along the coast down past Asia, which is Asia Minor. We have him running through from Miletus, which is at the bottom of like that red-pink section. I'm kind of colorblind, but I think it's red or pink. Uh, he goes from Miletus to Kaz, down to that island called Rhodes, over to Patera, and sails past Cyprus, which is that purple island out there, into Phoenicia. But it begins telling us that he departed from Miletus. That's where we were last week. It says that he departed from them. Remember he was meeting with the Ephesian elders. He called them down. We said he couldn't go to Ephesus. It would take too long. It would slow up his trip. He's trying to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost, right? So he called the elders to him, and he exhorted them. Remember he said, look, if this is my example I've given you, I have circumstances in my life right now that the Holy Spirit's warned me. Tribulation is coming. And he says, you guys probably won't see me again. And you remember, they were crying on him. Remember, we talked about that bond in Jesus that's just so strong, right? Stronger than that, that, that earthly family bond is that connection we have in Jesus Christ. And as they're crying with him, they're, they're pouring over him. It says in verse 1 that he departed. And that word for departed in the Greek is apospeo. It means to tear away. 
This was not an easy departure for Paul. Paul said, man, this is emotional. <laughs> it's hard. I love these people, but the Lord's calling me to go to the next place. I don't know where you're at right now this morning, but you may be called to go somewhere that you haven't been really before. Maybe go move somewhere, go begin a new job, go plant a church in Texas, right? There's this emotional, this, this departure. We go, man, I don't want to leave this season that I had here. But if the Lord is leading, if He's guiding, man, it's going to be for His glory, right? And it's so awesome because we know if the Lord is leading us through His Spirit, through His Word, even when tribulation comes up, we know that the Lord has already told us, look at it, this is where I'm calling you. And He says, this is as emotional as this is, I'm going, and we basically see the journey on that arrow, and He's running along there, He gets to Phoenicia, to the city of Tyre, which is in that region, and they unload the ship. To unload the ship, it would take about a week. It would take about seven days. And so in that time, they're looking for somewhere to lodge. They're probably going to go explore in the city. That's what it's basically saying. And in verse 3 was the idea they landed and everything was being uh, unloaded. But it's interesting. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10, 11, he said, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. See, when you traveled and you were doing ministry, you kind of found the people that believed in the Word of God and you stayed with them, that fellowship. You wanted to be in that koinonia, that fellowship with the brethren, wherever you went. And so I think Paul is just obeying the voice of the Lord. He says, hey, we're entire. Let's go see if there's believers in the area. Let's see if there's people we can fellowship with. I don't know if you guys have been like this. I've done this before where I visit. I'll be traveling for work or doing something. I'll wind up in a city. One of the first things I do is I look up like the Calvary Chapel in the area and see if they have like a midweek. I don't know if you guys can relate to that. But I'm like, let's go see what the brothers are doing. And you get there and you're like, this is immediately family. I don't even know these people, but we're connected. I feel that with like pastors conferences. I go there and hang out with people. I've never met in my life, but we're having lunch together. We're just fellowshipping. We're talking about the goodness of the Lord. And it's just a good practice, right? Man, where you go? Stay in fellowship. Find the people that are going to continue to help you grow and follow the things that the Lord has called you to do. Amen? And so look what happens in verse 4 through 6. It says, And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. When he had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. So as we talked about, they went around, they were exploring, hey, are there disciples here? I love how verse 4 puts it. They found disciples. Like, oops, here's disciples. Like, it's so cool. Understand what's happening here. They're in Phoenicia, which if we have the map, it's up past Jerusalem, right? It's in that green strip on the land there near Syria. It's not in Jerusalem. But remember, that's where the church started. That's where the gospel started. This is some 25 years after the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. The gospel has gone forth. And Paul doesn't even know that there's disciples here. He says, we found disciples. This is not a church that Paul planted. Can I tell you what this means? It means that the people, not just Paul, but the disciples, they went and took the word of God. And it went out. And now there's churches in places that Paul really had nothing to do with. The Lord is the one in control of His church. Amen? 
It's not just Paul working. Paul is doing a great thing in serving the Lord, but we have guys like Apollos. We have the, the elders that are in Jerusalem. We have Philip's, right? We have Barnabas's. We have all these different people that are serving the different callings in the Lord, but that work all together for his plan. That is so awesome. If we all submit to the Lord, do what we're called to do, his plan will come together for his glory. Amen? Can I tell you something even cooler than that? If you don't do what you're doing, the Lord's plan still comes together. Amen? We miss out on the blessing. He's not going to... It says in Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. But he does everything according to his will. In the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? I love that verse. I, you can tell I memorized that. So I remember, I am reputed as nothing. <laughs> but what a blessing to be something to be used in the Lord's kingdom. And the Lord says, look, I'm doing all this. They show up. They find these disciples. They get there. But did you notice what happened when they get there? The first thing Paul is told in verse 4 is, through the Spirit, they told Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. <laughs> That's a weird statement because we've talked about Paul being led by the Spirit. He told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 22, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Let me tell you what I believe is happening in this section. I believe that a divine word of the Lord came through the Spirit to fleshly men, just believers, brethren. They love the Lord. But can I tell you what else? They love Paul. They care for Paul. And I don't know if you've ever been in this spot, but the Lord... Is saying, look, there's tribulation that lies ahead. If you move, we're going to lose all our friendships, all of these relationships. We don't want you to go, right? The Spirit was warning, without a doubt, that chains were awaiting Paul. We know that. Paul's already experienced that. Paul's already prepared. He already said in Acts 20, 24, none of these things move me. I don't care about chains that lie ahead. I'm going to serve the Lord. Amen? But these disciples, they love Paul. This is new, you know, revelation of sorts to them in the spirit and they're like dude there's chains waiting for you paul's probably like i know <laughs> but they're like but we love you man please don't go they took a divine message of the lord and they put human intellect into it i don't know if you've ever been there but you say there's no way that a spiritual good could come out of an earthly trauma have you ever been there where you're like there's no way the lord could work something good out of this this is terrible and then you give it time <laughs> and you see man the Lord was glorified in that thing. The Lord is awesome. He was working in that thing. That thing I thought was a disaster turned out to be for my protection. Can I tell you, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but Paul being in chains is going to save his life from being killed at one point. <laughs> the reality is that the Lord sometimes uses circumstances we would otherwise think are crazy to sustain us, to use us for his glory. Amen. But I think sometimes people come to us and they're like, hey, man, I think the Lord's calling me to go, you know, go sleep in a tent in Kenya. I'm like, dude, that sounds crazy, right? I'm just telling you, I like a, com I, this is my ministry. I like this comfortable sanctuary room, right? I'm like, I don't know, man, you sure? What if you get like malaria or something? Like you start freaking out. I'm trusting though that the Lord has testified to their heart personally through his word, through the spirit that I am calling you to go. Don't let anyone stop you. <laughs> Can I tell you the only place we switch this is when it involves sin. When someone says, hey, I have this calling. The Lord has told me to leave my wife and go marry this other woman. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> I can stop you there and say that is not the Lord. Amen? I hope you guys are tracking with me, right? That makes sense what's happening here. But so this whole thing that's happening, 
you have the Holy Spirit has been preparing Paul, so he has the courage to say, I'm going. The Lord's already called me to this. And so I think it's great. What do these disciples do? They come with him to the ship, and they see him off. They don't go, oh man, we're so mad at you for leaving. They go, hey, you know what? <laughs> the Lord's so good. We're going to come and we're going to pray. They bow down on the shore with Paul. And they've only known Paul a week. He's been there for seven days. Talk about that bond in Jesus Christ, right? They're like, man, we're going to pray. We're going to petition the Lord that whatever happens to you, that you would glorify him. We're praying for your safety. You know how this goes. I, how many people have sent like, like children off to college? I haven't done that yet. I tell you, it's a day I fear. My kids move out of the house. All you can do is like pray, Lord, please protect them. <laughs> I'm trusting, Lord, that as they walk with you, that you're leading them, but please keep them safe. I think we can all relate to that, right? That's the vibe I'm getting here in verse 5 and 6. They're like, man, please keep them safe, Lord. And so he goes off and he heads out. Look at 7 through 11. It says, And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When, we, when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So now we have further warning in the Spirit, further alerts, right? It says in verse 7 that they traveled from Tyre to Ptolemais, which is just a, a day's journey by ship down there. They would sail to there. And it's interesting. They, they get there. There's believers there now, Right? There's more believers. Everywhere they go, there seems to be a church that's been planted that Paul didn't have something to do with in that sense. And it's kind of awesome. Mark 16, 15, Jesus told the disciples, He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That meant like Gentiles to Jews, to every kind of man. Go out to every region, you take the gospel. And so in verse 8, they're continuing their journey. And they go from Ptolemais down to Caesarea. And so that's another day, day's journey right there. You see it towards the bottom of the screen. And in Caesarea, this is where it says that they were basically lodging with Philip. I think this is pretty awesome because in this case, in verse, let's see, in verse 8, it says that it's Philip the Evangelist. Do you remember Philip was the guy who in Acts chapter, I believe it was chapter 8, he went out. He was one of the original seven, it says, which means one of those guys that were selected as a deacon. If you remember, they had the whole, the whole um, meeting in Acts 6, I believe. In Acts 6, they said, hey, we got to pick some deacons. Stephen was one of those deacons. In the chapter, at the end of 6 and into 7, we saw Stephen getting stoned. And then in Acts 8, remember what was happening at the beginning of Acts 8? This guy named Saul was persecuting the church. And it made everyone scatter made everyone disperse, and we're told in Acts 8.40 that Philip, the evangelist, he went and went and resided in Caesarea. So the guy that's living in Caesarea is now housing the guy that chased him out of Jerusalem. <laughs> Do you pray for people and sometimes go, Lord, I just don't know if you can save them. Can I be honest? In our flesh, sometimes we doubt. 
He's rooming with the guy that was killing his friends, that was throwing them into jail, dragging people because of Jesus Christ, and now they serve the same Lord. That is insanity to me. <laughs> I don't know how many people were praying for me for years. I know a lot. And they probably thought, well, we just hope he gets saved. And now it's probably like, holy cow, that's more than we expected. Like he's actually, people show up to like hear the word of God. That guy shouldn't even talk about the word. We used to know him, right? That's probably what people think. But now, it's so cool. This is the power of the Lord to take old things, make all things new. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Philip knows this. He's like, man, Paul's in town? Bring Paul into my house. I would probably be like, keep that guy away, right? But no, it's changed. It's been 25 years, remember? I think that's important to note. Trust isn't built overnight. If you came to the Lord last week and you wonder why people still don't trust you, you got to give that time. We did crazy things in the world. We harm people. We hurt people. But as we continue that race in Jesus Christ... And the Holy Spirit's working in us, refining us, sanctifying us. Man, people start to go, this is real, amen? And I think for Paul, it's like, dude, this guy, we've heard about what he's been doing for the last, you know, 20-something years. He's been going all out. He's been doing all these things. I think it's interesting that in verse 9, it mentions that he had four unmarried daughters, Philip did, that prophesied. Can I tell you something that's weird about this? They don't prophesy in this section. <laughs> that's weird. Everyone's been telling Paul, hey, chains are coming, chains are coming. I go, well, why is that fact included if they're not talking in this section? I think there's two reasons. I think the first one is to show us that Philip was a godly man that raised godly children. Amen? He continued to do the things he should do. When you have the gift of prophecy, in this case, of prophesying, you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, it means you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? He has four daughters that are walking with the Lord. I pray that when my boys grow up, they have gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> that means they're doing what they're supposed to do. Can I tell you a second thing that I kind of picked up on here in my own takeaway? Just because they had the gift of prophecy didn't mean they always had to be the ones using their gift. I think this is important. So many people go, I have a gift in the Lord, therefore I need to be the one doing everything. That's, and that's important for me. I feel like the Lord was hitting me. I'm, I'm the guy that gets up here every week, right? How easy it becomes, like, we'll all tell the people what's the Lord speaking. You know how awesome it is when I can just shut up and let people talk to me in the Lord? <laughs> I'm so blessed as I meet guys during the week and the Lord is just speaking through them and I'm just taking it in. I'm like, oh, this is what it's about. The Holy Spirit working through vessels. And sometimes we got to be able to step away and go, hey, I know I have my gift. I know I have my place where to use it. But sometimes we got to be like swift to hear, amen? So to speak. In this case, it's interesting. The Holy Spirit speaks, though. It says that he spoke through a guy named Agabus. So, though they didn't speak, the Holy Spirit was still working through Agabus. Agabus is the guy that we saw in Acts 11 who prophesied that a great famine was coming. It actually began, Paul's ministry of Barnabas, they went and they went and gathered a collection and took it to Jerusalem in response. And the famine came true. So, Agabus is not a false prophet. <laughs> this guy says things that are true as the Lord leads him. And what's he saying now to Paul? I mean, imagine this. You have a guy with a valid track record in the Lord. And he says, hey, when you go to Jerusalem, let me get your belt. Let me show you what's going to happen. <laughs> so it's tying up his, his own hands. He says, they're going to bind you. The Jews are going to get you, and they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles. Can I tell you who else this happened to in Jerusalem? <laughs> Jesus Christ. The ending of what seemed like a tragedy on earth opened up the greatest spiritual blessing in all of mankind's history. Amen? 
Are you getting to see now why man doesn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem? Why, why they would tell Paul, this is not a good idea, man. Everyone's telling you, can you imagine if you came to church today and you said, Lord, give me a word today. And someone walked up and said, here, I got a word for you. <laughs> give me your belt, right? <laughs> you're going to you're get in prison for preaching the name of Jesus. What would that do to your week right now? Would you go home and hide? Or would you go to the places the Lord was calling you to? Paul, i got news for you. Paul's going to continue on to Jerusalem. <laughs> not because he wants to be a martyr, but because he knows that as he submits to the Lord's will, it is the greatest thing that he can do with his life. Amen? Romans 12.1 says it's a reasonable service to give our life as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Paul wrote that. Paul lived that. Look what happens in verse 12 through 14. It says, Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when we would not be, I'm sorry, when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. Man, Paul has obviously been prepared in the Spirit. He's been given the word of the Lord. You can't have this kind of confidence unless the Lord has been speaking to your heart, amen? To understand, to say, man, not only, like, and he said in Acts 20, 24, I count my life not dear to myself. That's one thing to say, hey, I don't really regard my life as important for the Lord. Now he doubles down. He says, I'm willing to die for the Lord Jesus. That's a big statement. <laughs> and it's easy for us to say things like this, but here's the deal. Paul goes, I'm going, man. Why are you guys breaking my heart by talking to me like this? <laughs> you're kind of, you're, you're breaking my heart because it makes me sad that you, you're so worried about this. And I tell you, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Our sound mind is sober in the spirit as we fill it with the word. Amen? I don't have a sound mind within myself, within my flesh. But as I dwell and put my confidence in the word of God, he promises, right? Look at those that put their confidence in me, right? You put your confidence in the Lord. He will sustain you. Don't fear man. That's a snare. You trust in the Lord where he's guiding you, where he's leading you. And it gives you this sense of power in the Lord. And it's not for your glory, it's for His, and it's all because you know that He loves you, amen? So you have the spirit of, of love and of power and of a sound mind. Paul says, stop trying to break my heart, man. I'm set, I'm going. And it's, it reminds me a little bit of Peter. Do you remember when Jesus was telling Peter and the other disciples in Matthew 16, He says, hey, I'm going into Jerusalem, and they're going to betray me, and the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. He's going to be crucified. Remember what Peter said? He rebuked the Lord. He said, far be it from you. Nothing like that's going to happen. And what did Jesus have to tell him? He said, you get behind me, Satan. <laughs> the same guy who had just been elevated is like, oh, on this rock we build the church, right? You're so smart. The flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. Now it's like, get behind me, Satan. How fickle our hearts can be, right? And in this case, it's very much like that because they're like, Paul, please don't go. He says, listen, I'm ready to die. And I just think their answer in verse 14 is incredible. They're like, look, hey, the Spirit of the Lord, like the will of the Lord be done. If the Spirit of the Lord is leading you and guiding you, we're going to trust 
that as painful as this is for us, that you're doing exactly what the Lord's calling you to do. And there's kind of this open-handedness to that statement that says, hey, a little bit, Paul, if you're wrong, we trust that the Lord's will is still going to be intact. If you're right, praise the Lord, the will of the Lord is still intact. <laughs> there's this, this thing, you know they're just praying for Paul. They're loving Paul. They say, we don't want you to go, but man, if you're this persistent, you must have word in the Lord we don't know about. I guess go for it, Paul. We'll be praying for you, man. And so look at as we have the arrival into Jerusalem. Look at 15 through 17. It says, and after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So we basically have Paul now moving on. He's traveling back into Jerusalem. He's moved down from the last city they were in. So they're coming from Caesarea. They're coming down to Jerusalem, which is in the bottom right corner. Uh, the rest of our story here today will happen in Jerusalem. But as they come down, they're taking the 65-mile journey. And it's funny, I say come down because we're looking at a map. You're always going up to Jerusalem, right? It was elevated. No matter where you came from, you always said we're going up to Jerusalem. It was a 65-mile journey on horseback. So it says that they packed. The word in the original Greek is more like they made preparations. This is all, it's like we got to get our food together, our drink together, all of our supplies, and we got to get our horses, we're going to go. It says disciples from Caesarea accompanied them, because remember, they're coming in for the day of Pentecost. So this is a major feast. There's going to be many Jews that are in Jerusalem. And as they're traveling with them, it says that there's this early disciple, Manasseh of Cyprus. I think it's funny because we're only 25 years after the day of Pentecost. We're like an early disciple who makes this guy early, right? <laughs> Everyone's early at this point. But what this probably means is that he was probably present on the day of Pentecost. This guy has been walking with the Lord probably since Acts 2 because the word in the Greek has to do with like the word we derive our word archaic from. He was basically one of the first things that were an example of the church, of a, being a disciple. We haven't heard his name prior to Acts 2. We haven't heard it here. It kind of makes sense that this guy was in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. He had a place where he lodged in Jerusalem. And so they're going to go stay with him is basically what's happening there in those verses. So it says that in 17, the brethren in Jerusalem, they received them gladly. We have to understand two things with the statement. Remember, Paul's running in with a bunch of Gentiles with him. <laughs> Prior to like Acts 15, prior even to the day of Pentecost, right? Especially a lot of these different things have been orchestrated by the Lord to reveal that God includes Gentiles in his plan for salvation, right? He's showing up with guys like, I don't know, Luke, uh, Manasseh of, of Cyprus. He's got all these different people traveling with him from Caesarea, from all these different places. And they gladly received them. This shows that the church at that time was understanding that, man, the gospel is for all people. Amen? Generally speaking, that was there. But secondly, remember, Paul brought a financial gift from all the Gentile churches, according to Romans 15. So he shows up and says, hey, the Gentile churches have brought this for the Jewish Christians that are in need. The actions spoke louder than the words that said we're united in Jesus. It said we are actually putting literally our money where our mouth is, right? This isn't just lip service. We love you as our own. And it just created this beautiful scene of gladness. Can I tell you that should be the church? <laughs> A big old mix of people from all different demographics that come together with one common interest, Jesus Christ. Amen? And when we gather, isn't it not just the, the, the most glad day of the week? <laughs> I love Sundays. Sundays are the best for me. Yes, there's work, there's busyness, but I love being here with you guys. 
And I hope that you all feel the same coming in here, that, man, we're excited. I pray this is never a place where it's a dramatic thing. Please deal with those things. If the, uh, we want to stop that now, amen? <laughs> we're young still as a church. I don't want any place... This is totally separate from the study. Okay, I'm going to step over here for a minute, away from my notes. Rants, rants. Don't blame the Lord for this, okay? Look it. We want to make sure that things like gossip, bitterness, unforgiveness, we're not putting up with these things, amen? We nip those in the bud as the body of believers. And why do we do it? Out of love. True love. This is not what the world calls love, right? They're like, just let everyone do what they want. No, that's not love. When we contradict the Word of God, we come to correct and encourage one another and continue together in that spirit and bond of love. Amen? That's my rant. Okay, let's come back to verse 18. All right? Look at verse 18. It says, On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, meaning they believe upon Jesus Christ, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed or told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. What then shall we do? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. So Paul's there. There's this sense of gladness. He's there with the elders. It mentions this guy named James. That is the half-brother of Jesus, who originally did not believe upon Jesus as Messiah, but after the resurrection, put his faith in him. And according to Galatians 2.9, I believe it is, it says that he became a pillar in the faith. He was there in Jerusalem with the elders. If you remember in Acts 15... They went to the Jerusalem council to say, hey, what do we do with Gentiles that are receiving the Holy Spirit? And they're clearly putting their faith in Jesus Christ and being saved just as the Jews were on the day of Pentecost, right? What do we do with this? And if you remember, James is the one that made decisions. He said, this is a fulfillment of Amos. It said that this would happen. We knew that the Lord would pour out His Spirit upon all these people. Praise the Lord for this. Just tell them to like abstain from things offered to idols, from things strangled with blood, from sexual morality. Right? He, they listed some things, but they said they don't have to become Jews to become Christians. Amen? Well, in this section, it says they're hanging out. And man, Paul's telling him everything. I love it. It says in the original language, he gave them every single detail of everything that the Lord had done. We know Paul can talk, right? Paul can talk for 12 hours straight, people falling out of windows and stuff. He told them everything. And they, what is their response? I think it's in verse 20, right? They just glorified the Lord. They're like, this is awesome. This is the plan of the Lord. They knew this. They had already decided this. But to hear it, they're blessing the Lord. But they continue and say, here's the deal, though. There are Jewish Christians, because it said those that believe. So it's those that believe, but they still practice the law. They've been informed or instructed. The word is katecheo in the Greek. That's where we get the word catechism from, to teach someone orally. The idea is they've been talking about you, Paul. And people say that you've disrespected the law. You don't believe in the law. You tell people that they need to forsake it. You won't let people circumcise their children in Jewish tradition anymore. They've heard this. And it says there's myriads of Jews. That's tens of thousands of Jews that believe this. And he said, man, this is going to be a problem because <laughs> when they all hear you're in town, 
they're going to come and they're probably going to give you a hard time. They're going to want to see evidence and proof that yes, Gentiles can be saved and are saved and filled with the Spirit. But they're going to want evidence that, Paul, you are not opposing the Jewish law, the Bible's law and the traditions, not man's traditions. We're not talking about the things the Pharisees and Sadducees made up, amen? We're talking about Jewish traditions that people use to worship the one true God. It's interesting because I think of preferences that we have in the church today. All of us come from different backgrounds. Some of you, especially at Calvary, we're usually a melting pot because we're non-denominational, even though we're kind of denominational. We all kind of look alike at Calvary Chapel. But <laughs> there's a real, I know, we're like, we're non-denominational. What, what denomination? Calvary Chapel. Oh, I know exactly what you guys do. It's like, okay. But <laughs> what we mean by that is like, you know, there's the Baptist denomination. They have kind of their way of doing things. Worship in general. Nazarenes, they have their way of doing worship. We have the Pentecostals. They have their way of doing worship. So, you put the, I'm just kidding. I, there are brothers in the Lord, but you know what I mean. You put them all together. Can you imagine taking the Nazarene and the Pentecostal and the Baptist and putting them in a room and going, here, worship. Just plan a worship service. It's kind of, it kind of becomes uncomfortable because they have different preferences, Right? Let me ask you, in spirit and in truth, if we're talking in truth in this case, are they worshiping the one true God? If they're doing it in order. Yes, okay, thank you. Everyone's like hesitant, I know. But they have different ways of doing that. It needs to be in spirit and in truth. None of this is just like sloppy where it's just like, oh, I feel like worshiping the Lord by jumping around with flags and singing to like Buddha. Or no, that's not worship unto the Lord. We're talking about in spirit and in truth, they may have a preference. We don't use guitars, we use organs. <laughs> We don't even use organs. We're holier than that. We just use voices, right? And there's this thing that can happen where people get offended by the way we do things differently. Service flow, liturgy, things like this, right? Can I tell you, it's funny. At this point, basically what they're telling Paul is, hey, the guys that like to worship the same God, the Jesus Christ, through their Jewish traditions, they think that you're telling people they can't do that anymore. And see, that's offensive to them. They're stumbled by this. But it's interesting. Paul never told anyone this, right? Paul is the Hebrew of Hebrews. <laughs> he knows all these things. I guarantee we're going to see in this section, Paul says, dude, that's great. You want to have tradition? You want to have preferences? That's fine in spirit and in truth, but make sure they're not for righteousness sake. Amen? This is where it becomes a problem. When we say the way we do this is the only righteous way to serve the Lord, that's where it becomes problematic within denominations. Amen? For us, we always have a routine. We have a system. We have a flow of how we do things. And it's what we do. And it's different strokes for different folks. Assuming that we are teaching the Word of God, the one true gospel, that Jesus Christ has died and rose again, and that we're singing and serving Him and worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Amen? So in this section, he basically warned, they warn him. They're like, hey man, there's some people that are stumbled and they think that you're telling people they can't worship like that. So look what happens in 23 to 26. It says, therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual morality. 
Then Peter took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the, exp the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. So this is pretty neat. They say, here's how we're going to solve this, Paul. All of these Jewish believers have heard that you're telling Gentile believers they don't need to come under the law. That's a true statement. What is happening, though, is they're t you're, you're supposed to be telling people that they shouldn't practice Jewish tradition. And they said, we know that's not true, Paul. Think about what they're telling them. They say, hey, we have four guys that have basically shaved their heads. This comes back to that Nazarite vow of number six, I believe it is. And there's this idea that you would consecrate yourself to the Lord, and the outward would be you'd shave your head, right? Or you'd let your hair grow and then shave it at the end, correct? Wait, yes, let your hair grow and shave it at the end. We saw Paul do this in Acts 18, remember, when he shaved his head leaving Corinth? And he said, I'm going to take this as an offering, right? Well, these guys... They're all partaking in this. They say, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to go. We've been taking this vow. We're going to go have our head shaved at the conclusion thereof, and there's going to be a sacrifice given at the temple. Numbers 6.17 said that that offering was of thanksgiving, and it was of dedication. Let me be clear what they're not telling Paul. They're not saying, Paul, go partake in animal sacrifice to atone for sin. That's not what's happening here. That would contradict Hebrews 10.10. Amen? Hebrews 10.10 10 says that the body of Jesus Christ is the final offering once and for all. There's no more need for sin offering and sin atonement outside of Jesus Christ, right? But now we're talking Jewish tradition. This is, I want to worship the Lord by partaking in a Nazarite vow and having this Thanksgiving offering unto the Lord. A Gentile, that would mean nothing to them, right? That means nothing. But to a Jew, that's a very important vow unto the Lord in spirit and in truth. Amen? So they tell Paul, why don't you do this? We're not going to force you to take the vow. Why don't you just sponsor them in the vow? Because that would be shallow. That would be like pandering if he goes and does this vow without the right heart, right? They say, why don't you come alongside? Still be consecrated. Walk according to be consecrated. You don't have to go shave your head and do that whole part, but go and sponsor them. Basically, those bulls or the, the, I'm sorry, the ram that is involved in this Thanksgiving sacrifice. You had to buy that somewhere, right? If Paul says, hey, I'm going to pay the tax for that, I'm going to buy this for you, that's going to show that he validates and says, hey, this is acceptable. So you kind of see the thought process of the elders, right? Does that make sense? Everyone with me? I know it's weird because we don't sacrifice animals for like, like Thanksgiving and dedication anymore. That's weird to us. But to a Jew, that's commonplace at this time. But it's interesting because remember one of the things they said, they said, Paul, he tells people not to circumcise his kids. Paul went and took Timothy and had him circumcised so that he could reach the Jews. I mean, these are all rumors. They're all lies. Have you ever had this happen to you in your life? People go, oh, dude, James joined a cult. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, dude, they believe, they, like, they drink blood and eat bodies at communion. You're like, that's not what we do, dude. They're like, yeah, we heard about it, the blood of Jesus. right? There's this great confusion until you explain to them the meaning behind it all. The world thinks we're nuts for doing what we're doing this morning, right? <laughs> and it's funny because we're just, in sincerity and truth, we're obeying the Word of God. We're partaking in the very thing we're supposed to be doing. Paul was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing in every place, and yet somehow the enemies of Paul are stirring it to where people would divide against him. You can do everything perfectly right as the Lord calls you, and I'll tell you there's still going to be tribulation. There's still going to be attack. There's going to still be opposition. But man, we want to do everything. This is called being above reproach. Amen? 
Paul says, I'm going to try to be above approach. The elders go, here's how to do it. So look what happens now in verse 27. We're almost done here. It says, Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, speaking of Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he's bought, brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus of the, or the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. <laughs> Paul says, I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to do what the Lord's called me to do. I'm going to do what the elders had, have advised me to do. I'm going to go with these guys. Note that it said in verse 27, when it, was, it said that it was almost done, right? It said that um, when the seven days were almost ended. They haven't quite completed the process yet, but they're doing it. They're unto the Lord serving Him. They're going to the temple in consecration. And remember, it's Pentecost. There's tons of Jews in town. I got to tell you, you know who else is probably there? Probably all the Jews from Ephesus. Probably all the Jews that chased Paul all over the place. And every place he's been, they've come and traveled because they're righteous Jews, right? They still do the outward things, but they hate Paul for his message. And they see Paul at the temple, and they're like, men of Israel, help us. What do they say? They say, he, he pits people against the Jews. He hates the law. He hates the temple. And he brought Gentiles into the place where they can't go. And see, I think we have a temple diagram. I don't know if this is a spot that gives us everything on it. But you can kind of get an idea. Basically, that big open area right in the front there, we have this court of the, of the Gentiles. We have this area where Gentiles were allowed to go. You couldn't go beyond a certain point. And Rome even allowed, in this case, that if a Greek broke that rule, that was, they had warnings everywhere. You could kill them. That was usually not an acceptable thing, right? You didn't lay your hands on someone that was not you. You didn't practice your own uh, legal system and, and, and rules and regulations apart from Rome. But they said, hey, we've posted this everywhere. So what they're saying is, hey, we saw this guy Trophimus from Ephesus. He's walking around with Paul. They supposed, do you know what that word means? <laughs> they, they didn't see anything. They didn't actually hear anything. They just said, oh, I bet, because Paul's wicked, right? We've heard stories about Paul. That guy's with him. I bet he took him right past where he wasn't supposed to. And what this is, the people starting this rumor are trying to stir up the crowd. Did you see this? They said, men of Israel, help. This man hates you guys. He hates everything we stand for. Get him, right? Do you remember what happened to Jesus? <laughs> From the get-go, because Jesus came and called people to turn from their sins, that their own heritage was not enough righteousness, that their works was not righteousness enough to save them. They had to repent and put their trust in the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. Amen? He came and told them, and guess what happened to everyone that was super self-righteous? They rejected Him. And they said, no, you don't stand for the things that we teach. You don't stand for this temple. Remember when Jesus said, hey, in three days, I'll raise this temple. I'll knock it. You knock it down, I'll bring it back up. And they're like, oh, he talks about the temple? He's talking about his body, right? But they turned it in. They said, oh, he said not to pay Caesar his taxes. That's not at all what Jesus said. He said, actually, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But you give to the Lord what is the Lord's, Amen. But they came and said, no, 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 we've heard this man blaspheme. They told the Jews, he says he's God. They told the Romans, he says he doesn't want to pay his taxes. He's telling other people not to pay their taxes. 
None of that was true, but the goal was to get Jesus destroyed. Because they thought, if we can silence his voice, we don't have to obey his voice. And I tell you, they thought they silenced his voice, but he rose again. <laughs> we must obey the voice of Jesus Christ. We must obey the voice of God who speaks through his word. Amen? Through the power of his spirit. You can fight that all day, but I got news for you. There is a resurrected Jesus you have to answer to. And in this section, they say, let's get Paul. Let's destroy him. They drag him. They start pulling him. Remember, this is a major feast. So there's a lot of Jews there that are probably just hearing the news. We talked about the riot in Ephesus a couple weeks ago. People didn't even know why they were rioting. They're like, oh, mob mentality. Let's go, right? That's, we see this today sometimes, right? There's a riot. They're burning things down. Let's get in there. Let's steal a TV while we're at it, right? This is because of injustice. We're like, what? That's weird, right? Why would you do it? Mob mentality. That's what's happening here. Everyone's rushing. Look at how we end today, 31 through 36. It says, Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, the Jews stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after him crying out, away with him. We're ending the section here because if we keep going, we're going to have to cover all of 22 as well. We're not going to do that today. Sorry, not going to do it to you. But <laughs> what we see in this section is everyone's trying to kill Paul. If we have the temple diagram, if you see in the very, very top part up there, there's this building kind of next to the temple. That was called the Fortress of Antonia, and it was a fortress that was put there so that the Romans could be staffed there. They'd be stationed there. The idea was, hey, if there's ever uprise, if there's ever insurrection, we'll have troops ready to run down on the temples. Does that make sense? Because you read that, and you're like, where did all these Roman soldiers come from all of a sudden? Well, it's a feast time. There's millions of extra Jews in town, so guess what? There's tons of extra soldiers stationed at this place. And the commander of the garrison, that's the guy that would oversee, I believe it was a thousand soldiers. His name is Claudius Lysias. We find that out in Acts 23, 26. And he's there. He sends down centurions. That's a plural. One centurion oversaw a hundred soldiers. So if there's two, there's at least 200 soldiers descending on the scene right now. They're running in from that back building into the, uh, into the courts there. And when they get down there, the Jews, I love the Jews, are like, oh, we weren't doing anything, man. Like, we, they stopped beating him, right? They're like, oh, we don't want any business. We don't want any trouble, right? They kind of let him go like they haven't been doing this this whole time. But then, so they get him, they pick him up, and did you see what happened to him? They actually bound him with chains, <laughs> What has Paul been told over and over and now more specifically? Agabus said, hey, the Jews are going to seize you. We already saw that happen. And now the Gentiles are going to actually take you. They're going to put you in chains. Can you imagine being in Paul's shoes in that moment? Just when this whole scene starts, you're like, oh no. <laughs> this is it. This is the moment. Can I tell you why the Lord is so good? He prepared Paul for that moment. That would be a terrifying moment 
either way. But when you know that the Lord has told you, I am taking you there to go there to do this, you have to trust that this is for His glory. Amen? That whatever is going to happen, this is a fulfillment of His Word. And He is going to use this for His glory. And so as he's being chained, they're trying to make sense. They say, who is this guy? Why are you all so mad at him, right? One person's crying out one thing. The other's crying out another. There's confusion. We saw this in Ephesus. They didn't even know why they were gathered and yelling and chanting, great is Diana of Ephesus, right? They just got, went with it, mob mentality. And so the Roman soldiers are like, man, take him upstairs to the barracks. So the barracks had stairs that would lead in there. And as they're pulling him up the stairs, think about this. Paul is in Jerusalem during a major feast, being rejected by the Jews, handed over to the Romans, and the Jews are saying, away with him. This happened to someone else before it happened to Paul. <laughs> it's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ, amen? Earthly trauma that resulted in the greatest heavenly blessing we have ever received. Please do not begin to think today because you are going through a trial or tribulation that you have been forsaken by the Lord. <laughs> you are in the very... If, if you are abiding in the Lord, if you are walking according to His Word, if you are filled with the Spirit, He's leading you, can I just tell you, you have a spirit of power of knowing that, hey, whatever the Lord has for you is for His glory. Amen? Now, can I just be blatantly honest? This is where people always get uncomfortable, where I go, guess what else the Lord knows? He knows your very days. I'm not going to tell you that you're always going to get out of here and it's going to result in like a mansion and a race car or something, okay? That's prosperity gospel. It could be the very thing that you die for the name of Jesus, but Paul was prepared to do that. But can I tell you, I don't believe we're enduring the kind of stuff that Paul endured. You and I are probably going to workplaces, we're dealing with unbelieving people around us, and we're like, ah, oh, Lord, why are you letting me go through this? I believe this morning should be a wake-up call that, man, first of all, Paul had it worse, and Paul sustained through it because the Lord sustained him. Amen? Amen? And he wasn't sustained for his own glory. He was sustained for the glory of God. Because in Acts 22, we're not going to get it today, but he is going to finally get an opportunity to use the trial, to use the tribulation, to use the suffering, to preach the gospel to thousands of Jews during the feast. <laughs> What a blessing that Paul is there, that Paul didn't back off when everyone told him, don't go to Jerusalem, think of yourself. He said, I have to go, the Lord is calling me, I don't care if I die there. The Lord had a plan, He had a purpose, and he, I tell you this morning, you might be going through a season where you're like, why in the world am I going through this? Again, sin is different. You're going through problems because it's consequences of sin, repent, amen? But I'm talking to my brothers and sisters that are trying their best to abide in the Lord, and you're like, man, it's still hard. The Lord can use that. In our weakness, His strength is made perfect. <laughs> the Lord is reminding me of this over and over again, week by week. Look it. Just go wherever I call you to go. Amen? Take my word with you and give it to everyone that's watching you in the trial. Wherever the Lord leads you, take His word. Let me tell you, when they said, away with Him, it made me think of John 19, 15. The Jews cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And see, when they say away with Paul, they're not saying just get him out of our sight. They're saying kill this guy. We want him dead. If I'm Paul, I probably at this point go, hey man, I better mention my Roman citizenship and sneak out of this place as fast as possible. 
We're going to see in Acts 22, that's not what Paul does. Just like Jesus, as the very people that were calling for his death, he ministered and gave them the gospel. He gave them the very message that God sent him with. And instead of rejecting them, he was willing to receive them if they put their faith in his completed work. Amen? Paul says, I'm going to tell all of you about Jesus Christ. <laughs> Again, I don't know what you're going through, but can I tell you the reason that you're there is to glorify the Lord by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everything that you do, that you would glorify Him by keeping that sound mind in His Word. I believe it's Isaiah 26.3 that says, you will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. You keep your mind on the Lord, you keep your mind in His Word, you be filled with the Spirit, man, it is going to be awesome. It may be hard on this earth, but can I read you one last verse before we're done? 2 Corinthians 4, 8-10. Paul wrote this, he said, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. As I suffer death in the things of this fallen world, may I also reveal to everyone the life of Jesus Christ therein. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we just thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your mercy and for your grace and for your love. And Lord, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters here right now. Lord, for whatever they may be going through, Lord, you know what it is. Lord, we submit to your sovereignty, Lord. You are good and Lord, we can trust you. Even as we go out into the things that seem terrifying sometimes, Lord. Father, we know at the end of the day that you are so good to preserve your people so that you can honor your word above all your name, Lord. Father, I pray for anyone that's in a battle right now about work, about a move, about relationships, about all their place within the church, all of these things that we wrestle with as believers, Lord, I pray that you would guide us and use us in all of those situations as you see fit. Lord, that we would glorify you as your bride, Lord. I also pray, Lord, that we would be an example, a light to the world around us, Lord. That we would go out with the gospel that says, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. This morning, as we pray, if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you today is the day of salvation. You can begin this relationship with Jesus Christ right where you sit today in the silence of your heart. It begins here. It by no means ends here. The Lord will lead you through His Spirit. He will sanctify you. He will lead you and guide you. But you can begin with this simple prayer right where you sit. You acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you have sinned, that you fall short of the glory of God, but He is ready to save because He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. Right now, right where you sit, you'd say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.